It's time to join Montana's very own and your voice for agriculture, Talking Ag Lane Nordland for today's LaneCast. And good day everyone, Lane Nordland here with the Western Ag Network and thanks for joining us as we host our videocast slash podcast on the Western Ag Network platforms on Facebook, YouTube and on the LaneCast Ag Podcast wherever listen to podcast we have a great lineup of conversations farm ranch talk that's what we're going to be doing here today once again and uh joining us is the one and only award-winning farm broadcaster mr russell nimitz standing by and russ uh, hey a pretty busy week for the western egg network crew yeah you know what it's always good to get out of the studio or get out of the office and i know we're going to talk a little bit more about it later in the program but we actually spent, Paul Humphrey and I actually spent a couple of days this week down in northern and northeast Colorado chasing combines and just visiting with barley growers and wheat growers from the Centennial State on how this year's crop is looking, how harvest is going. And all I'm going to say right now, Lane, is wow, what a difference a year made. No, definitely. And I, I tell you what, I mean, it's it's just great to see producers getting hay crops up and uh, also seeing these really good looking grain crops. And, you know, I am a big fan of uh, Coors products. And I've been that for <laughs> since I turned 21. I discovered I liked uh, Coors products the day I turned 21. But uh, I decorated the, the studio a little bit with some swag to promote Coors Light and Coors Original here today and our, our barley growers uh, harvesting that uh, good Coors barley down in Colorado and gearing up all the way up uh, here in Montana in just a few weeks. But you know, Russ, we have a lot of stories that we're going to get through. It's not all the stories that we covered on radio and TV this week, but just a few of the, uh, the highlights that uh, I think are important to farmers and ranchers. And, uh, you know, we're going to have a, a little bit of talk about Agricultural Competition Partnership. Uh, that's a big announcement that came out of D.C. this week. And the goal of it is the Biden administration wants to crack down on price gouging and other anti-competitive practices in the food and ag markets. That includes the meat packers, consolidation in the ag business, uh, end of things and processing. So we're going to learn more about uh, that announcement out uh, from uh the Biden administration and state's attorneys general. Um, also, you know, it's pretty fun to watch uh, higher prices in our livestock markets, no matter uh, if it's on our video sales, but especially for those livestock that have uh, uh, served their time out on the operation and they're heading down through the ring, that slaughter cow, slaughter bull market. It's just been impressive the last few weeks. Yeah, red hot. I mean, talk about getting your return on investment from whether it's that high genetic powered uh, female or, you know, we're going to talk more specifically uh, this weekend about the slaughter bull market and just how it literally is going through the roof right now uh, at all of our area auction markets across Western Egg Network country and uh, certainly giving back quite a few dollars. Uh, back into the pockets of cattlemen and cattlewomen. Uh, and that's good because then they can reinvest that into some, some more high quality genetics uh, for this upcoming uh, bull buying season. 
No, very true. And so we're going to share some some staggering uh, numbers that somebody paid for a slaughter bowl the other day at the ring. Um, also, uh, we're going to have another Biden story in terms of waters of the U.S. WOTUS just won't go away. And uh, we uh, will have an update out of a court case in the federal court in North Dakota. And uh, also we'll continue uh, the uh, the salty lane segment. What's making me salty this week? Uh, we had a lot of folks really enjoy my rant last week, and I don't know if it's a rant or me me just being upset about uh, a lot of things when, when things or people are just are stupid, but we'll talk about what makes me salty, so make sure and stay tuned into that as well. And, you know, as, as Russ mentioned, we're going we're gonna to talk about the, the Coors story, but, you know, I do put a little bit of salt in my, in my, uh, my uh, tap Coors Light once in yeah. a while, just make it, you know, foam a little bit, bubble, and, and just adds that little yeah. taste. So maybe that's what makes me salty, but that's probably a little too early to crack one right here on the broadcast. So, Well, well it depends on what time people are watching this and nobody really knows what time of the day we're uh, producing this, right? <laughs> no, it's very early in the morning. Some days very uh, late, but yeah, they could be watching this at 7.05 AM on the weekend, or it could be 7.05 PM on, on, on the weekend night or five days from now. But again, just a few of these conversations here on the Western Ag Network on our video. Well, and podcast. Yeah. Pete Coors. Yeah. doesn't really care what time of the day you're drinking a barley pop. No. Most course. Yeah. And, and the thing is, though, in Montana, it is illegal to buy beer at the grocery store or gas station yes. until 8 a.m., um, which uh, you and I get going so early in the mornings if when we get up at 2.30 or 3 in the morning and then we uh, – heck half our day is already gone and if you're fueling up or anything sometimes you run in there and it's 7 7 45 you're like what what is going on here yeah. like you know what yeah. yeah but regardless let's uh maybe jump into some of these headlines for our friends uh joining us here on the video cast and we are seeing that uh, uh, this past Wednesday, the Biden administration launched a new agricultural competition partnership to crack down on price gouging and other anti-competitive practices in food and agricultural markets. USDA announced the new partnership with attorneys general from 31 states. Uh, as you know, Mr. President, for far too long, agricultural policy has been focused on getting big or get out resulting in a trend toward bigger farms and fewer farmers. Farmers and ranchers have been squeezed by corporate concentration and in input industries like seeds, fertilizers, and even uh, farm equipment on the one side, and on the other side by consolidation in the channels for selling agricultural products like meat and poultry processors and grocery retail markets. That's why USDA is proud to support President Biden's competition executive order to stem the tide of increasing consolidation and promote competition in America's food and agricultural markets. The new partnership will assist state attorneys general in tackling anti-competitive market structures in agriculture and related industries that are raising prices and limiting choices for consumers and producers. We're also working swiftly to finish a suite of robust new rules under the Packers and Stockyards Act that will protect independent farmers and ranchers from abuse by the dominant meat and poultry processors. And we're also committed to finishing our work ensuring that when you see product of the USA on a food product, consumers will know that everything done to raise and process that product was done here at home. And finally, we've established a farmer seed liaison initiative, which will provide farmers a voice and greater transparency in seed patents to help provide choice and lower costs for producers. 
Secretary of Agriculture Tom Bilsack there, and he added that uh, this new effort is also coming after the third court of appeals just last week rejected an attempt by the Justice Department to overturn a lower judge's ruling that allowed U.S. sugar to buy imperial sugar. The Justice Department had attempted to halt the 2021 merger, arguing it would drive up sugar prices for consumers and businesses and hurt the value and income that sugar producers could make off of growing that cash crop. And, you know, I, I tell you what, Russ, we, we've even seen that just the, the impact in the sugar industry and in, uh, over in Sydney, Montana this year with the, with the closing of the sugar plant there and producers not being able to plant a crop because it wasn't profitable enough. And that's just one of the many cases. I know the livestock community is really focused on, of course, uh, profits by the, the meatpacking sector. And uh, just there's a lot of frustration and, and anger out in the countryside uh, about uh, just trying to make a living. And, and and maybe some other groups are making more money or taking advantage. But uh, obviously, the a lot of focus uh, with the Biden administration on these objectives Uh uh, but these are things we hear all the time in the countryside when we're out uh, visiting with producers. Yeah, and as you mentioned, I mean, this really has become a top priority for the Biden administration's uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture and really, in some cases, the Department of Justice as well, trying to, you know, address uh, the shrinking or the consolidation of, of agribusiness out there and its impact on Farmers and ranchers, as you mentioned, uh, out here in the countryside, whether it's sugar or the cattle industry or, you know, the grain industry as well. I mean, there really isn't a segment of U.S. agriculture that, uh, you know, isn't impacted at the end of the day when fewer and fewer uh, people are involved in it. So, I mean, uh, and of course, this is a, a top priority for ag organizations uh, like the National Farmers Union and all of its state affiliates, including those uh, right here in our Western Ag Network coverage area, too. So, um, yeah, it's be interesting to see uh, what comes out of all this. But uh, certainly the Biden administration, Secretary Vilsack doing a great job there uh, explaining what they're up to at the USDA and working in partnership uh, with the Department of Justice on some of this. Yeah, very true. And, uh, you know, moving uh, along from uh, that uh, competition partnership to uh, uh, that uh, slaughter bull price that we are talking about now, uh, you know, it, again, right now, folks are, you know, bringing in cows and uh, bulls that maybe uh, need to get out of the pasture. They're just not going to hold on to them for another year. But uh, obviously, the size of the U.S. cattle herd is down. Uh, that inventory report uh, coming out very soon that could really impact those prices. Uh, to the positive uh, coming out next week, but uh, what what uh, what what were you seeing lately online with some of those prices that just kind of made your jaw hit the desk a little bit? Yeah, well, a few days ago I was just kind of surfing around on Facebook, just checking out what people are up to, and I came across this post by Connor Cook of Huntley, Montana, and I couldn't believe it. Of course. Uh, you know, he, he kind of hails from the, the Goggins genetics uh, from South Central Montana. He's he's one of the grandkids and and of course, uh, he, you know, deeply rooted in in the cattle business, the livestock industry. And and uh, he posted on TikTok and Facebook a screenshot of a slaughter bull selling uh, just a few days ago at Billings Livestock. And and I. I couldn't believe it. Now, I, I, we read these prices every single day 
lane. So this bull came in, just one bull weighing over 2,400 pounds, sold for $1.64 a pound. Look at that price. I mean, look at that price. $3,952.40. That's incredible. You know, like I said at the top of the segment, I mean, talk about a return on your investment. I have no idea you know, what this rancher paid for the bull, uh, you know, either as a yearling or an 18 month old or a two year old back in the day. But I know one thing he got his he or she got their money's worth out of him, you know, and then if nothing else can go back and reinvest that nearly 4,000 bucks into a new one here. And, you know, depending on how much, you know, or how much do they want to spend on, on a new bowl? I mean, that'll certainly get them a new one or pay for half of another one or, you know, I mean, it's, it's a lot of money, right? A lot of money. And, and, and like you said, we're reading these markets every single day, but uh, that one will really jump out of you. But, uh, you know, Rasa, if we want to take a look at those livestock markets, uh, not a lot of sales occurred this past week across across the West, just because it's the summer uh, season, a lot of video sales going on. But, uh, you know, as we look to those, Russ, uh, yeah. pretty good uh, uh, returns there uh, at the public auction yards, Billings, Montana this week. Yeah, I mean, look at that. Slaughter cows, three to seven dollars higher, 81 up to a buck 17. I mean, they too are bringing return on investment. Slaughter bulls at pays. Six to twelve better, ranging ninety up to a dollar forty-seven. You know that's in Billings, Montana, and then you know this week at Centennial Livestock Auction in in Fort Collins, um, Colorado. I mean they similar trends going on there as well. I mean you just and it's it it's going to happen that way. I mean it just really is. I mean supplies are down demand is up consumers are still buying the high-end beef products at the meat case but they're still buying a ton of hamburger you know and and there's you know food service is buying hamburger and you know just everyday people like you and i are going out and buying hamburger and, and you know that's what's helping to i, I don't fuel, buy hamburger russell <laughs> to fuel this uh well you probably don't but a lot of folks do and uh i mean it's just crazy I eat hamburger just to clarify. I, somebody might jump over that, but uh, we have a freezer of our own beef there. So it is shocking when you do have to buy hamburger that that's not yours. So, yeah, well, I, I might get called an elitist there. Consider yourself lucky. Yeah. I might have to cook up a ribeye later. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's great to see that. And and maybe just jumping back there, slaughter lamb activity, as you mentioned, uh, 80 to 85 weight uh, lambs there at Centennial Livestock. Uh, they were bringing uh, $1.99, 90 to 100 weight lambs, 175 up to 200 there, 100 weight and slaughter used 67 to 157. We'll, uh, again, uh, that, that market seems to be firming up a little more too, but uh, I tell you what, uh, it's just great seeing higher prices, even though I know our herds are much smaller and a lot of grass out there, but uh, it's it's nice to see these higher prices. Well, it's allowing these uh, ranchers to reinvest back into their, you know, whether it's their cattle herd or their flocks. I mean, uh, we were in dire straits. I mean, we really were these past couple of years or longer for some folks. I mean, you know, droughted out, no moisture to speak of, 
you know, grass just wasn't there. There was absolutely no water. A lot of folks were plagued by grasshoppers and all sorts of other challenges from Mother Nature. And, you know, if nothing else, 2023 has certainly uh, brought a lot of change out there in the countryside. And, you know, one of those changes is just in sheer attitude. And, and I know you've been visiting with a lot of folks, uh, whether, you know, it's just around our area or when we get out and about and travel and you can just tell it, you know, in the conversation, just the difference, you know, a year makes. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of folks that if you would have asked them last year at this time, you know, whether or not they were going to be able to hang on or what they thought of farming and ranching, they, you certainly would have got a lot different answer than what they're telling you this year. No, very true. And uh, yeah, it's just, like I said, nice to have those higher prices. But uh, with that, uh, we're going to come back. We'll talk about a WOTUS lawsuit update, uh, but more to come right after these words. Ready for a real PRF partner? He was willing to track us for a year and provide that data back to us for a year. That's a guy making a pretty big investment. At Ag Risk Advisors, this isn't our first rodeo. We are one of the most experienced in pasture rangeland forage. Honesty, commitment, trust. Many companies use these words. At Ag Risk Advisors, we earn them. Again, a big thank you to our friends at Agorisk Advisors for bringing you our conversation here today. Well, uh, if I can read my script here today, you know, Russ, last week we were joking about uh, uh, I had that PRK refractive eye surgery on my left eye and they didn't do anything to my right eye. I had a checkup this week and they're asking, well, how are things going uh, for your eyes? And I said, oh, pretty good. I said, the hardest thing. Truly, now over the last few weeks, the hardest thing for me to do is read ear tags on cows. <laughs> and the gal kind of looks at me a little bit, and um, she's she she was the uh, assistant there, kind of taking all the the readings before the the eye doctor came in, and 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 she goes, "You're trying to read what?" I said, uh, "Ear tags on cows." And she goes, "Well, well, have you just tried going going to Walmart and buying some little readers so you can read it?" And I'm like, <laughs> I kind of looked at her, and she kind of looked at me, and I'm like, she she has no clue what I'm yeah. talking about. She apparently never ever attended a fourth grade farm fair right maybe not but uh yeah so i had to explain to her that well you know that that cow might be right next to you or 20 feet away and you should be able to <laughs> to read an ear tag and i said just at that that that's the one thing i can't uh, can't read too well right now and she she did get a good laugh when i explained what it is but you know the worst is though when you know when your uh your ink fades a little bit on those ear tags so it's even harder to try to so i've actually been trying to like take a photo of them and then zoom up on them after the well, fact that yeah you got to adapt russell you, you have do. to adapt well, it's probably a lot more efficient than carrying a big magnifying glass around in your back pocket with you can yeah. you imagine that oh excuse me i got to read my my calf tag and whip out this big thing and 
Don't no, think so. Do. Boy hasn't done that. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, as we come back, uh, we we mentioned at the start uh, uh, we have some more waters of the U.S. news, and this just continues to stay in the headlines. And uh, just this week, a, a federal court in the state of North Dakota granted a stay on an ongoing multi-state lawsuit against the Environmental Protection Agency's latest WOTUS rule, giving the Biden administration time to complete a rewrite and a win for the Biden EPA. The U.S. District Court for North Dakota sided with EPA motion to delay the case. Ag and other business interests filed a motion to vacate the rule, while the 24 states that sued and received a preliminary injunction against that rule did not oppose a delay to allow more time for a rewrite. Now, another stay remains in effect as well in Texas and Idaho. And let's be clear, the uh, rule is on stay in those uh, 27 states total. Uh, But agriculture groups, including the American Farm Bureau and National Cattlemen's Beef Association, both sought immediate changes to Clean Water Act determinations in a motion filed there in North Dakota. And as I mentioned, that stay will remain in place according to the court's document. Under the state will remain in place. Huh, can't read today with that eyesight, I guess, according to the court's order, until a new final rule is published in the federal register. Once that's complete, the court will give parties in the case another 21 days to submit proposals for further court proceedings. Now, if you recall, the Supreme Court's May ruling in Sackett v. EPA essentially left the current WOTUS rule unenforceable. So the Biden administration says they will try to have that new rule out by September and uh, it will remain stayed in uh, the the states like Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, uh, Texas, Idaho, and a total of 27 states. But uh, that request by ag groups and other businesses to just do away with uh, that current rule was uh, was not granted. But again, it's just. It just seems that common sense would, would you would just pull that rule back and rewrite it and and not fully try to implement it as is. But uh, you know what? I'm not in politics. I'm just sharing the news, Russ. <laughs> well, it, it's confusing to a lot of folks, including me, because I'm sitting here scratching my head. Okay, I mean, we had a ruling from the highest court in the nation at the end of May on WOTUS, and basically what you just said is the way it is now. It's unenforceable. So. So we go through all the effort again. Am I hearing you right? We go through the effort uh, to allow the current administration to proceed, write the waters of the U.S. rule as they want to perceive it or how they would like to see it implemented, only to have it not enforceable at the end of the day? Well, yeah. So, Russ, what that is, they're giving the court time to uh, pull that significant nexus test out of the rule and they're going to try to replace it with some other test because uh, obviously the Supreme Court threw the significant nexus test out the window and that was the main uh, foundation of that current WOTUS rule but uh, it, uh, it it can get very confusing uh, for, for everybody involved but at the end of the day it's costing uh, yeah. all interveners a lot of money just trying to to, to pull back that because we we it, it, it could take quite some time if they if they pass that window by September to rewrite the rule. But again, well, we're just here to share that news and we'll continue to share the the information uh, when it comes to when it comes in and because it impacts all of our producers out in the countryside. Yeah, it sure does. And I know next week in or this coming week in San Diego uh, at the NCBA's uh, summer business meeting, uh, you can bet it's going to be a big topic there. And, and I've been thinking about it. 
ever since you broke the news uh, on on our radio airwaves about getting to Southern California and, and having that chance to visit with uh, NCBA President Todd Wilkinson out of out of South Dakota, because <laughs> you know he's a cattleman, but he's also uh, a well known and and trusted attorney out of uh, South Dakota who knows the law inside and out. And uh, I'm just anxious to hear what he has to say about all this uh, going on with, with WOTUS. It just will not go away. No, it, uh, it's enough to make people salty out in the countryside. Ah, perfect segue into what has been rubbing Lane wrong this past week or... <laughs> I did not make that graphic, by the way. Paul Humphrey, of course you didn't. We uh, trust all most of our graphic work with the real expert, you know. Could, but he could, did an outstanding job. I like that. What was I saying? Can you do any lip reading on that, Nemitz? No, I, I, and I probably don't want to know if you're being salty, you know. There was just a lot of loud vehicles driving by us, and I was trying to do that stand up and. Paul was trying to get me to stand on a cliff there in Steamboat Springs. That's enough to make me salty, too. I'm afraid of heights. But what makes me salty today? You know, Russ, there's a lot of stuff that makes me salty. Um, but uh, I think that the one thing that lately is, uh, well, road construction makes me salty. But more than that, it's the people that are always driving around in the, uh, you know, in the, the passing lane and they're going like 60 miles an hour. Oh yes. Yeah. Especially, you know, it's, it's 70 on our, you know, on our non-interstate on our highways here in the state of Montana at 70 miles an hour. And, you know, sometimes you have that four lane road and, or even on the interstate and, and it's just like, why can't you get over? Like, like did, did, did your mama or daddy not treat you good enough in life or teach you how to, when you pass just to get over and get out of the way and it's even worse when there's farm equipment or people that don't get over when a police officer or first responders are pulled over or there's farm equipment oh i just i rant and rave i really have to watch what i say though because i do have a toddler in the car and uh yeah so i uh i i I have new words in which i say when i'm driving but oh my goodness and and i'm a slowpoke driver like there's days where i will my wife will be like could you put it on cruise control you're going 60. Uh, Cause I like taking in the scenery. I like looking at cows. I like if I might be hunting, you know, Oh, there's a deer, there's a coyote. Um, I always get over to the right. It's just common sense and nobody has common sense half the time anymore. And, and up here uh, where I live in Montana, there's so many Washington state, Oregon and Texas people that just think they can live in the left-hand lane. It drives me nuts. Well, it's just about as bad as people who don't recognize blinker signals, right? Or don't use I, I will say this about America's, uh, you know, larger cities. And, and that's just fresh on my mind because Paul and I, you know, for the past couple of days, have kind of based ourselves out of Denver. And uh, one thing about it in our urban areas like Denver and some of the others, I mean, when you put your blinker on, they at least let you maneuver in and out, in and out, you know, get to kind of where you want to be. Not so much you know, (laughs) in, in rural areas, you know, um, I don't know. I just shake my head sometimes because you're like, okay, I really need to get either right or left, put your blinker on and whoever's in front of me or back of me just won't won't let you do it. But I I don't know. Just gets back to simple, like driver's education, you know, and, and what you learned in school, or like you said, what your parents or grandparents taught you. And 
I never drove a car till driver's ed. Yeah, well, you started on a tractor, I'm sure, like a lot of us, right? <laughs> you know, that's what I, 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 you laugh at it all, but you know, my, my dad taught me to be a defensive driver, and you, you got, you have to be. I mean, that's like we have this intersection here, we have the Walmart, and everybody wants to turn left out of the Walmart and get on the main drag. Well, we're the speed limit's 45 coming in there. Most people are going 60 coming into town, and people are going you know turning in an eastbound lane going across and going into the west oh good i i that i, I need to put some salt on my margarita well, <laughs> yeah i i know and and you know it's more serious though i mean we are trying to make kind of a good point you know especially in farm and ranch country i mean you know motorists really do need to pay attention to those slow moving uh vehicles tractors farm equipment just trucks or you know atvs you you know utvs whatever i mean uh because a lot of times i mean the newer ones do but the older models they don't have you know turning signals on them yep. same way with semis you know i mean you got to remember that semis are going to turn wide i mean whether it's turning right or turning left they're going to probably have to go in the opposite lane to negotiate that turn and if you're not smart enough to realize that you're going to end up underneath one of them. <laughs> you know, man, they keep their pot pretty clean under here. Well, yeah. With... which by the way, if you own a convertible, I hope you're smart enough to realize you never ever want to pull up next to a loaded cattle truck. No, you'll have a oh. nice when you're, or, uh, or, or, uh, Nice ruminated wrap. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Although some people deserve to be pooped on. You know? <laughs> we'll use that as a good quote for some promos. Yeah. Well, uh, anyways. Well, that that's what makes me salty today, Russ. Well, I appreciate that, and and a lot of folks are, you know, feeling what you're feeling, and that was another great segment of what makes Lane salty. Stay with us. We'll be back with more right after these messages. When it comes to the beef business, there's no room for gray area. The decisions being made in Washington affect the future of the beef industry, the livelihood of your fellow farmers and ranchers. Your National Cattlemen's Beef Association knows there's what benefits cattlemen and there's what doesn't. Visit ncba.org to learn more. Again, as we come back here today, uh, this week, our networks, Russell Nimitz and Paul Humphrey, were following the Coors Barley Harvest down in Colorado. But, you know, when I think, Russ, about barley, especially Coors, uh, this is this is what comes to mind. So these are impersonators, Russ. I, I, I like found it. this online. I, I, you didn't know this was coming. No, I but, didn't. Uh, so you know how we enjoy, we both enjoy Smokey the Bandit, but you are you are probably one of the biggest Smokey and the Bandit fans ever. I mean, you have a poster in your office there as well. Uh, you've seen it way more times than I have, but uh, <laughs> I try to watch it three or four times a year still. But uh, I just enjoy the fact that there are three people that uh, – are impersonators and they show up to things. I, I got to show you just uh, what these guys okay. really look like up, up close. 
Oh yeah, I love it. Are we gonna do what they say can be done? Are we Now, oh, there's there's so many good lines in Smokey and the Bandit one and two that oh, I just want to like throw them out there, but Paul would have to bleep me out, you know. But you know, from a Diablo sandwich, <laughs> I was just gonna say that <laughs> getting over to Texarkana, Texas, and loading up a semi load of uh, Coors Banquet, you know, because. You know, you got a couple thousand of your best friends waiting for you back in Georgia at a NASCAR event that want to drink real beer, you know? I mean, and what a story. I mean, God, it's great. So, great so, so these guys, the Smokey and the Bandit group, uh, as you can see, the Bandit is Tim Phillips. And, you know, if I had enough Coors original, he, you know, he would look exactly like, uh, yeah. like, like the, the real Bandit. And then Sheriff Buford T. Justice is by Sean Bailey. And the, the one image I didn't get up there is that they do have a junior, uh, junior justice played by Jason Bob. If they show up, they do this for a living. They show up at car shows. They'll show up to your birthday party. Heck, maybe really? we should do that. Have, have them meet us in Kansas City at the Farm Broadcasters Convention and, and for your birthday. It's usually about that same time of the year. That would be fantastic. Daddy, <laughs> can you help me with my zipper, Daddy? <laughs> when, when I get home, I'm going to punch your mama right uh, in the mouth because there's no uh, way you come from these loins. Yeah, it... Oh man, there's there's too many good ones. But uh, I just thought that fit well, uh, since they, of course, were going to get that uh, great Coors original uh, yeah. beer over in Texas and take it back uh, across the interstates and state lines. But uh, you know, speaking of that, as we mentioned, I got my Coors swag behind me here. But uh, what what went on in uh, Colorado this week? Oh boy, it was a lot of fun. I mean, uh, growers across Colorado, Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming. I mean, as always, they've planted another uh, Molson Coors barley crop, and and uh, it was fun to go down into northern Colorado and uh, visit with uh, a grower this past week who his family has been raising barley for the Coors family now since 1966 and we were able to catch up with uh jd birch and uh what's really impressive lane about jd is he's only 29 years old and he's carrying on the family tradition of uh raising that high quality moravian barley uh for the coors family and uh, let's hear what he had to say about this year's harvest and that re relationship he has with the coors family I've only done about 10 acres so far, so not much, but um, we're just getting started, but it's harvesting nice. Usually we deal with a lot of lodge barley on the ground, you know, and, but this year it's standing upright, which is rare. So it's smooth sailing for us. We're happy to be, I mean, it's gonna be a good year for barley. Tyler Whitmer is the Molson Coors Brewing Materials Agronomist for Northern Colorado and Southern Wyoming and says, despite this year's challenges from mother nature, Growers have done a great job in raising another high-quality barley crop. Absolutely. The growers have done an excellent job this year managing their crop. 
managing the tough conditions, getting out there and spraying when they need to, and being proactive, getting ready for harvest. JD says for his family and the other growers, there's still a lot of pride in raising barley for Molson Coors. So what makes me proud is it's just a great delicious beer on top of, you know, we've had a great working relationship with every agronomist that they've hired, you know, from there all the way to the top. Um, we're all just proud because it's from Colorado, originally here, you know, so everybody in the area is super proud to be growing Coors Barley. And Tyler describes why after all these years, Molson Coors still has growers to raise Moravian Barley. Moravian Barley is such a great variety because it has a lot of agronomic uh, traits that the farmers really like. It's uh, a variety that does not lodge. It stays plump. Uh, it gives you straw. It gives you barley. It gives you beer. <laughs> what else does he need I to say? say? I, I, I love it. You know, I mean, and that, in all seriousness, that's how Molson Coors, I mean, maintains that high quality, quality control. You know, I mean, yeah. since day one, they've been using Moravian barley. Now, I may not stay up straight drinking Coors, but I can stay plump drinking Coors. <laughs> I don't like, think he means that. I, you know, Russ, I, 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 I literally have to call myself out on this because I've covered Coors harvest and, and barley days for quite some time, but this kind of shows my nativity uh, from being more from the livestock into things. I always thought it was Arabian barley, not Moravian <laughs> barley. I had to Google that during that. I'm like, oh my God, I have called it Arabian barley, old Arabian barley on air before. No one has oh. ever called me out in person on it. So I'm going to call myself out before moravian which makes sense but it's like arabian nice. i was gonna say you, you you've been watching too much aladdin with your daughter <laughs> you know that that tyler the farmer there that guy i bet that boy can put down some cruise originals and, and not he wouldn't even be able to tell that that's a man right there yeah he and he's just a salt of the earth type of guy i mean i think he's the third generation his family um has been there in the longmont mead colorado area since 1906 and you know in addition to talking barley and the relationship with coors uh, we also just had a great discussion about you know what's it like to farm you know in an area like denver colorado where you just you're pressured by the urban sprawl the urban growth and you know the water rights on his farm date back to something like 1861 and, you know, he's having to fight tooth and nail, you know, to maintain those water rights that he rightfully owns. Well, you know, the cities around Denver and, and elsewhere are trying to gobble them up. You know, they're, they're trying to squeeze them out. And, you know, he said he's going to hang on for as long as he can, you know, but and he's not, you know, interested in, in, in selling to a developer anytime soon. But Put it in perspective, you know, kind of what it's like to farm in and around a big metropolitan area like Denver. Yep. No, very much so. And uh, we're and you, that full uh, story is going to be available on YouTube, correct? Yeah, we're working on it. It'll be on our YouTube channel and also on Facebook. And and of course, uh, you know, we, we broadcast it on our airwaves, both radio and, and television now. And, and it was just a lot of fun to go down there. And, you know, the second part of that trip, 
uh, we'll eventually get it on on air and online too as we had opportunity to go out to Bennett, Colorado and, and visit with Justin Luton, who's also 29 years old. And uh, he's also the president of the Colorado Association of Wheat Growers. Uh, his winter wheat harvest was just getting underway. Uh, darn the luck, though. You know, it's only been like 100 or 110 degrees down that Denver area for the past couple of weeks. Of course, Paul and I show up. <laughs> it rains. So, uh, but we still had a great conversation with Justin about this year's harvest, uh, you know, some of the challenges that wheat growers across the high plains into the northern plains are, are dealing with like wheat stem sawfly and and uh you know doing some things with researchers uh, across western egg network country trying to you know nip that in the bud and uh, just other you know priority issues like the farm bill and and whatnot and so it was we we crammed a lot into two days but we certainly had a lot of fun chasing chasing combines but I also wanted to mention, you know, you have that that what makes Lane salty segment. Well, you know, when we're when we're out on the road, I mean, we do our best to support, you know, local businesses, especially in the smaller towns. And and, you know, I know a lot of a lot of our audience. I mean, they appreciate good food like like we do good, you know, home cooked type food. And, and I just I have to throw it out there. If you ever find yourself in Brighton, Colorado, and want some good Mexican food, Paul and I caught up with our, our network teammate, Rachel Gable and her family, and, and had supper one of the nights. And I know I'm not going to say this right, but La Estrellita, Mexican restaurant there in Brighton. And then we also stopped at High Plains Diner in Bennett, Colorado. And you talk about some good delicious homemade food that's it i know paul had the french dip and i had the meatloaf sandwich <laughs> ma the meatloaf <laughs> i you know and it was a big menu i mean and it was like i don't know 1 2 o'clock in the afternoon when we were there and, and people were just coming and going and and I couldn't say no. I mean, when you walk into the High Plains Diner, they got one of those, like, I don't know, refrigerated octagon things that's sitting there spinning with, like, homemade pie and cake. And and uh, and I think the waitress, she's even, now save room for that homemade pie. And I know Paul had cherry, a uh, piece of cherry pie with some vanilla ice cream. And, of course, I can't say no to chocolate cream pie. <laughs> and, like, and my and my dress shirts are starting to feel it <laughs> you're getting plump like that uh, high moravian barley uh i've i've been plump for a lot of years i mean if i was a colonel of moravian barley i would never be rejected at a coors barley elevator i know that <laughs> um it's funny, like that's one thing about being in smaller towns is you don't have a lot of food options, but for wow. our audience, they just need to know the struggles that our team has when we're out on the road to find somewhere to eat because we kind of all have different preferences. And uh, one time we went on what, what a five mile walk around New Orleans trying to find oh, somewhere, wow. to, <laughs> somewhere to eat and we ended up at the same place we just ate every single night. Yeah, well, I mean... Ernst's. They, they had the cheapest Coors Light, in, Coors Light in town, though, too. 
Yeah. Yeah. The yeah we kind of yeah. <laughs> always migrate back to that too. Dollar <laughs> twenty-five beers. How can you go wrong? I mean, that's cheap for New Orleans oh, or absolutely. anywhere nowadays. I, yeah, exactly. I mean, five, six, seven dollars. You think you're getting a good deal in some of these big cities now? Ugh. But anyways, I don't know. We had we had a lot of fun, and it was a good couple days down in Colorado. And um, as we mentioned at the top of the show, I mean, it's always good to get out of the office and studio and, and get out into your coverage area and just get out in the countryside and visit with those hardworking men and women that you know we're lucky enough to serve and and uh, bring them the ag news and markets that they depend on. You know, very true, and we look forward to seeing more of those stories on our YouTube channel and on Facebook. Uh, but uh, as we wrap up today's chat, friends, if you haven't done so yet, subscribe to us on YouTube, follow along on Facebook, and we're also on Instagram, Twitter, and uh, what what is the threads? Uh, threads. Almost forgot what that one was called. I don't even know if anyone's on there, but uh, they supposedly have a lot of a lot of a lot of followers. We ha- we do have a, a Threads account, but uh, again, we're going to continue to bring you these conversations with a quick glimpse of our news week and just activities. We're going to be uh, heading down to San Diego uh, for the cattle industry summer business meeting uh, next week. Uh, we're going to be looking forward to uh, talking more about waters of the U.S. and issues impacting the livestock industry. And uh, hopefully our, our travel it goes smooth. Uh, maybe we'll have a segment. Maybe that's what I'll talk about next week, being salty traveling. But uh, well, who knows what I might talk about. I, 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 I don't know, know you always have a tighter connection than Paul and I. We're flying out of Billings and you fly out of Great Falls. And and uh, your connection is, is a lot tighter than he and I's. So we're hoping to connect with you, though. Yeah, I have a 30 minute connection. If 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 my flight isn't early, usually that flight is early from Great Falls into Salt Lake, but I have a 30 minute connection, which most people are like, oh, that that's enough time. Well, you don't understand in Salt Lake, I, I fly in, you know, from a small airport and uh, you may come up to one of the newer gates or you might have to park in the North 40 and you have to walk off, you know, you walk off onto the tarmac and then you jump on a bus and then they bus you into the terminal. It takes about 30 minutes. So really crossing my fingers that we get it early and that we're at one of the A or B gates that isn't out in the North 40. And then I don't have to fly standby later in the day because we don't know what the next salty segment's going to be. It, it may be that connection in Salt Lake. Well, Ooh, <laughs> oh yeah. So <laughs> you just kind of had a thought within a thought right there. Didn't I you? had a thought within a thought and a thought, and, and that can be way too dangerous, oh, but, uh, but want to thank our uh, audience members, our friends for joining us here today on the Western Ag Network on YouTube, Facebook, and of course on the Lancaster Ag podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, Russ, uh, thanks for joining us here today. Yeah. As always, thanks for uh, serving as the main host and keeping this uh, train on track and, And I always enjoy the conversation and uh, looking forward to next week's and bringing you some of the sights and sounds again from our recent trip to Colorado. And of course, everything we gather up at the cattle industry summer business meeting. Very true. On behalf of Russell Nimitz, I'm Lane Nordland and the entire crew, including Paul Humphrey, who is working on the back end of this broadcast here today. I'm Lane Nordland. Thank you for tuning into the LaneCast with Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.